Gaming the System, the number one podcast for gaming addiction, brought to you by Game Quitters. We use research-backed information to provide you with helpful solutions to gaming disorder, as well as shedding light on some of the most pressing matters in the video game industry every single week. We'll also feature guests who are former gaming addicts and have gone on to game the system, creating a life for themselves outside of the virtual world. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to episode 13 of Gaming the System, part of the Game Quitters podcast network. Today we're going to explore this idea of whether or not video games are designed to be addictive. It's something that's been debated by people on both sides since Pong was released back in 1972. However, video games are extremely different in today's world compared to 40 years ago. So what was once an argument backed mostly by misunderstanding and fear of new technology actually has some merit now. Once you learn about the tactics, systems and methods that game developers use in modern games to keep you hooked, you might be quite surprised. It's no longer enough to create games that are engaging and fun. Developers need to make use of every available avenue possible in order to extract as much time and money from players as they can. So much so, in fact, that artificial intelligence is now being used to target people at an unprecedented level, which is something we'll delve into later on. Let's give you a quick overview of what we'll be covering in this episode. We'll talk about whether or not the argument against video games being addictive has any merit, or if it's merely based on misunderstanding. I'll go through a bunch of the psychological tactics being used in video games, backed by science, taken from our article on whether or not video games are designed to be addictive. And also, what's the future of the gaming industry? What will it look like, especially with a focus on free-to-play mobile gaming? And what needs to be done about it? As always, if you enjoy the podcast, I really appreciate you leaving a rating and subscribing to Gaming the System. It really helps out a lot, more than you realise. Also, you'll have my eternal gratification, which (laughs) has to count for something. With that being said, let's get into the episode. Being that Game Quitters is a website dedicated to helping people overcome gaming addiction, you might think that the answer to whether or not games are addictive is something along the lines of, duh. Well, you might be surprised. Throughout the history of video games, people have always raised concern valid concerns, I might add, about their potentially addictive nature. Countless stories get released on the news and online about children and adults spending an unholy amount of hours on certain games, neglecting their health, relationships, hygiene, and all sorts of other stuff. The truth about this, for the majority of the last 47 years or so, since games went mainstream, they were designed with the purpose of being engaging and fun. However, in recent years the gaming industry has taken an entirely different approach. With the rise of mobile gaming, decrease in attention span, the need for constant stimulation, virtual connection, in a world that's less connected than ever, the state of gaming had to change to suit it. What was once a model focused on building fun, social and enriching experiences has now devolved into microtransaction filled, free to play and often buggy video games that exist for the sole purpose of taking your hard earned money in as big a quantity as possible. Now I will note that this isn't the case for every game. There are a ton of companies out there producing incredibly rich experiences. My gripe is mostly with the AAA industry and their often nefarious approach to a culture that encourages quick releases that are usually broken, and moving on to the next title, while trying to maintain just enough effort so that people continue to purchase the game, 
but not so much they don't make enough money. I'm generalizing a bit, but honestly, if you pay attention to the media, especially in recent months, your faith in the AAA industry will probably fall as low as mine has, especially with companies like EA, Ubisoft, Activision, Blizzard, all sorts of companies like that. So if you ask me the question of whether or not video games are designed to be addictive, 15 years ago I'd probably say no. However, it's no longer worth debating in 2019. Too many games are now designed to be addictive, and the number isn't going down anytime soon. It's all well and good, me telling you games are addictive, but how exactly are they designed to keep you hooked? Now the first thing on our list of about 3,428 things, give or take, is the notorious Skinner's Box experiment. If you're unfamiliar with Skinner's Box, back in the 50s a well-known psychologist called B.F. Skinner discovered that you could control behaviour through the use of stimuli and a reward. One example that's always given is the classic rat in a cage experiment, where a rat learned to receive food by pulling a lever entirely on its own. This is used extensively in video games, which shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. If you do X, you'll get Y in return. I mean, most video games wouldn't function without this. But the reason why it's so effective in video games is because it's strategically used to give you the biggest reaction. If the designers constantly threw this in your face at every available possibility, you'd soon become numb to the reward. What they do is time their rewards for specific points in the game to make you justify the effort you put in versus the reward you receive. If you spend a long enough time working on something and the reward is terrible, you're not going to be happy, and vice versa. If, however, they appropriately match the size of the reward with the effort required to receive it just enough and scale it accordingly as time goes on, it's going to be way more effective at keeping you playing. Now, did you know that it only takes one-fifth of a second to know you're attracted to someone? Humans have an instinctive ability to tell if we like something in mere fractions of a second. Which brings us on to our next point. Game developers are able to make use of this through the use of virtual goods. With the rise of microtransactions, cosmetic items like skins for your in-game avatar, it's a problem that's more prevalent than ever before. Mostly because it never used to be a problem. I remember when there was outrage that the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion included downloadable armor for your horse. <laughs> People still bought it though, so maybe they weren't all in the wrong. Equating virtual wealth with real wealth makes gamers become much more invested in their character and their experience. For a lot of gamers, their online wealth is all they have. It's an amalgamation of their life progress, achievements, and friendships. South Korea actually put a law into effect that gives virtual items a monetary value equivalent to that of the real world. Microtransactions make up a huge proportion of profits for a lot of games nowadays, mostly because the biggest games in the world are entirely free to play, which is all well and good. It allowed companies to make the argument that these purchases are entirely optional. However, when you realise that kids are getting bullied in school because they don't have an outfit in Fortnite, it makes it much more difficult to justify this type of business model. Now the next point ties in somewhat with the Skinner's Box model, and that's the idea of changing the rate of reinforcement from fixed to variable. But what does that mean? If a game such as World of Warcraft had a fixed reinforcement ratio of 1, it would mean that you receive a predefined reward every time you level up, and that's it. What actually happens is that every time you level up, despite being able to see your progress towards your next level at all times, you're actually given a random reward at certain points for making it to the next level. 
A number of studies have shown that using a variable reinforcement is by far and away the most effective form of motivation to keep people playing. This is also apparent in the world of loot boxes, which you know had to come up at some point. <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode of Gaming the System without me mentioning those boxes at some point. A loot box is a virtual item that can be opened, usually using real money, and contains a random reward with differing levels of rarity. They've been banned in dozens of countries worldwide due to their likeness of gambling, and rightly so. I'm looking at you, America and Britain and Canada. There have been a number of cases of people losing their entire life savings to these mechanics. A lot of games reward you on a level up with a loot box or similar item, again making use of this variable reinforcement ratio. They provide you with a reward, which might be great initially, but then you discover that you need to pay money to open it, usually by purchasing a key. You might think nothing of spending a couple of dollars on a one-time purchase, but as a lot of gamblers will understand, it's difficult to stop at just one. Imagine if they showed you a spinning wheel, similar to roulette. Now if you played roulette and your ball landed right next to a number that would have won you a large sum of money, how much more likely would you be to try again, compared to having it land at a space as far away as possible? A similar thing goes on with loot boxes, and the developers are fully aware of this. A lot of them actually feature spinning wheels, like Counter-Strike. Also, if they see that you open loot boxes, or are more likely to open them, they can then use their powerful targeting algorithms to ensure you spend more in the future. They might give you, and only you, a specific discount on certain items, or slightly increase the chance of you receiving a rare item in your first few boxes, only to drop that chance once you've brought a load of these boxes in bulk, in order to continue your hot streak. It's completely legal for them to do this, they even have patents in place allowing them to target and pinpoint these ideal customers that are more likely to drop eye-watering sons of money in the game, people that they refer to as whales. Recently, you might have heard the developers of Transformers mobile game, and not a good one, stated that they developed an artificial intelligence based program that can pinpoint these whales with 90% accuracy. What ended up happening? A player made the headlines for spending $150,000 in microtransactions on the game. And this is someone they targeted specifically with the potential of being able to do that. So remind me again how these developers have your best interests at heart. Last on my list, and unfortunately I can't cover all of them because I don't want to record a five hour podcast, <laughs> is one of my least favorite introductions into the world of gaming. Well, mobile gaming at least, and that's the idea of daily rewards and streaks. You've probably seen it if you've played any game, but the basic idea is that every day you log onto your favorite mobile game and you're given a new reward. Make it to seven days or 30 or even 90 and you get given something rarer, or at least you deem it to be rare. When you start out, the reward you get for 7 straight days of playing might seem insanely powerful. Similarly for the 30 day reward too. However, once you reach that point, you begin to realise that the bonus isn't actually all that great. This is why a large number of games offer a 7 or 30 day free trial. Developers know that if they can do everything they can to keep you playing for those first few days or weeks, you're much more likely to continue playing and invest money due to the perceived value you've already put into it. Some people might say, oh, I've spent this much time in it, I might as well keep going so that I don't lose my progress. What harm is a couple of hours a day when I'm really enjoying it? Now that point about losing progress is another thing some games to do, unless you upgrade to the premium version. Just to finish up, I'll share some of my thoughts on the direction the game industry is heading, and what, if anything, should be done about it. 
The approach that a large number of developers are taking now, going from a value-focused approach to a money-focused approach, is something that I believe is extremely damaging to the industry. It reminds me of the gambling and tobacco industries of yesteryear. We're at the point where necessary sanctions and regulations just aren't in place yet, although they are being discussed, and so companies are doing everything they can to extract as much money as possible in what little time they have left. Couple this with the fact that 90% of America play video games, and over 50% of the entire world, and it's, it's a recipe for disaster. These are corporations that are actively trying to fight against things like the World Health Organization's classification of gaming disorder being a real disease. The South Korean government even went so far as to say that the classification will have catastrophic effects on their gaming industry, and the decision needs to be reversed. It's simply mind-blowing to me that people are so focused on profits that they fail to see how a group of people as low as 4% of the population are really struggling with something like video game addiction, and as it stands they can't get the help that they need. But of course, all that matters is how much money they can put into their shareholders' pockets. This is starting to turn into an anti-corporation political-focused argument, which is what I don't want it to be. I don't get involved in politics but I feel like it's my duty to call out a blatant disregard for human health and well-being, especially when it's happening on such a widespread scale. Companies need to do more for the people who are having their lives destroyed by video games. They need to recognise that this new approach to gaming is only effective in the short term. It's eventually going to bite them in the ass, but I feel like they're too focused on the fat stacks of cash in front of them to care or even notice what's going on. Anyway. I think I've said enough about what I wanted to. I want to know what you think. Are video games designed to be addictive, or is it solely down to the individual? Do you think companies should be held more responsible? Send us a message on social media, or drop me an email at james at gamequitters.com and put podcast question in the subject, and I might discuss this again in the future after hearing some of your responses. As always, thank you for listening to Gaming the System. The podcast has grown so much over the last month or so. We've just hit 4,000 views when I think two or three weeks ago we were at 3,000, <laughs> which is crazy. And it's been entirely down to all of you, the listeners, for your continued support. It's only going to get better from here, and I'm excited to have you along for the journey. Don't forget to leave us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. It really helps us out. But until next time, peace.